Welcome back to History List. Why does virtuous man take delight in landscape? It is for these reasons, that in a rustic retreat he may nourish his nature, that amid the carefree play of streams and rocks he may take delight, that he may constantly meet in the country fishermen, woodcutters, and hermits, and see the soaring of the cranes and hear the crying of monkeys, the din of the dusty world and the locked-inness of human habitations are what human nature habitually abhors, while on the contrary, haze, mist, and the haunting spirits of the mountains are what human nature seeks, and yet can rarely find. Certain genres of art have become world-renowned. When people think of European art, of the Renaissance, they usually picture portraits. West African art is often oversimplified and pictured as wooden masks. The indigenous tribes of the Pacific Northwest are reduced to totem poles, and so forth. For Chinese art, and particularly painting, I think landscapes often come to mind. The landscapes of Chinese art are often invented, idealized misty mountains and forests rendered in stark shades of black, gray, and white. This style, however, developed during the Middle Ages, especially in the Tang and Sung dynasties. Earlier Chinese art had been portraits, animal scenes, and Buddhist bodhisattvas. The now familiar landscape painting can be traced back largely to the work Early Spring by Guo Zhi. Not too much is known about the artist. He was a scholar official, originally from Henan, and lived from roughly 1020 to 1090 CE. His floating perspective of the 1072 masterpiece became a guide which many followed over a heritage of centuries. Part of the reason for the awe which others had for Guoji's painting was due to the simplicity of his technique. Early spring was created only with ink and water and a brush, a massive silk canvas that measured roughly five feet tall and three feet wide and managed to convey both an entire valley receding into the distance as well as an individual pine tree's branches. The picture confronts us with a looming, idealized mountain. Bands are missing, obscured by the mists. Boulders and waterfalls are interspersed with the scraggly trees growing on the outcroppings of worn stone. A whole style of painting was coined by the work, Shan Shui. But there is symbolism here which conveys more than meets the eye. Guo had noted that in a landscape the tallest mountain should represent the emperor. Indeed, the piece was commissioned by his patron, the emperor Shenzong, who reigned until 1085. In the shadow of the mountain and its streams, you can spot a tiny fisherman in the lower right corner, symbolizing both the insignificance of man and nature and also the common man compared to the overwhelming divinity of the imperial state. 
A century later, Guoji's work was being referenced and copied by other masterful landscape painters, such as Wang Zhimeng in the 1100s, and the popular atmospheric style of landscape exemplified by Ma Yen a century after that. By the 1300s, the style had shifted to depicting real places. Yet, Huang Gongwang's mountains and pines in Stone Cliff at the Heavenly Pond are still clearly influenced by the Song masters, despite a new dynasty having emerged. Even in the 20th century, a style known as modern traditional has arisen, displayed by famous painters like Zhang Daqian, producing works like Panorama of Mount Lu in the 1980s that show the influence of Guoji. The great Song Dynasty master also left behind an important guide to painting, the lofty ambition of forests and streams, quoted at the start of this episode. He advised the following to painters who would embrace his style, The clouds and atmosphere of the real landscape are not the same throughout the four seasons. In spring they are bright and harmonious, in summer dense and brooding, in autumn thin and scattered, in winter dark and gloomy. Spring and summer views of the mountains have certain aspects. Autumn and winter views have others. The spring mountain is wrapped in an unbroken stretch of dreamy haze and mist, and men are joyful. The summer mountain is rich with shady foliage, and men are peaceful. The autumn is serene and calm, with leaves falling, and men are solemn. The winter mountain is heavy with storm clouds, and withdrawn, and men are forlorn. We will remain in China for our next episode, and pursue a genius of a very different kind, next time on History List.